0: The pride, passion, and pageantry of college football lives here. This is the Paul Feinbaum Show, Hour 2 Podcast. This
1: might be college football.
2: Welcome in, second hour. It's been a busy show. A lot happening in many different areas, and we're always excited to say hello to Matt Brown here in a minute. Uh, his latest involves something many, many people are talking about, and that's EA Sports announcing the summer release next year. First college game in over 10 years. Matt is the publisher of Extra Points, and uh, hardly anyone knows more about the inner workings of college athletics than him. Matt, thank you, great to see you, uh, appreciate it. Let's start with, with EA, because yesterday when, when the teaser came out, a lot of tongues were wagging explain to those who don't swim in EA circles and we had nobody has done it for a long time why this is such a big deal
3: Yeah Paul I'd say this is a big deal for a couple of different reasons It's it's a major deal as a sports business story because For so many institutions, this is a level of marketing that they simply can't buy anywhere else. Everybody is is concerned on some level about being able to reach a younger generation of fans, people that might not consume media or even college football itself the same way that that my generation or generations older than I am uh, have. And video games are a great way to reach those people. So within the industry itself, there's a lot of excitement about this game. There's a lot of excitement for nostalgia reasons. We haven't had this for a decade. If you're somebody in your, anywhere I think from your late 20s to early 40s, This might have been a foundational part of your middle school, your high school, your your college experience. Now you get a chance to have that back. And and I also think given that, you know, the the last couple of conversations we've had, Paul, we're usually here talking about antitrust uh, litigation or or labor law or these gigantic existential questions in college athletics. And the thing about a, a PlayStation game is it allows the player to turn all that other stuff off for a second and just engage with the game on the field. We have to talk about the other things because that shapes the existence of the sport that we cover. But I I do think that there is a there's something to the idea that there are some fans that just want to tune that other stuff out and video games are, are a potential way for them to do that. Now they're going to get another opportunity to do that in a few months.
2: Matt I'm sure a lot of people know know what happened to EA and all and all the l- legal issues. but for those who don't remember, why did why did it stop? Where did it go?
3: Well, if you played any of the last couple of releases of the the college football series, Um, Those games did not pay and did not actually use the name image likeness of current players. If you fired up a a game during the the Tim Tebow, Florida era, uh, Tim Tim Tebow's name isn't anywhere on the game. But there's going to be a fella that looks a lot like Tim Tebow that plays football a lot like Tim Tebow, who's playing quarterback for the Gators. Uh, There was a a famous lawsuit uh, brought by by former UCLA basketball star Ed O'Bannon that pointed out that, boy, it it sure seems like it ought to be illegal for some to use my name image likeness in a digital video game and not pay me for it um ea ended up paying out uh, settlements to individuals that were part of some of these games that weren't compensated And then they said well we'd be happy paying everybody but the ncaa said no if you pay you to be in a video game then we are breaking the sacred tenets of amateurism we won't license uh, our individual school ip to be a part of it so the game went away for a while now we have uh, a new video game systems that have reached maturity. You know, more people are able to have those. We have a legal system that allows EA to compensate the athletes for being a part of this game. And schools are excited to share that intellectual property and be a part of, of a joint venture now. And the, the time's right to be, able to, to be able to bring those projects back.
2: Matt, uh, two weeks ago today, uh, we led this program uh, talking about the big announcement from the Southeastern Conference and the Big Ten. We were able to talk to Greg Sankey a couple of days later. He explained it now. Uh, Tony Petiti has given uh, some clarification. From your s- perch, what, what does this mean? And, 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 and describe the significance of these two
3: mega, mega leagues coming together. Yeah, I, I understand the significance. Of Big Ten and SEC administrators, you know, breaking bread and not being openly hostile to each other because if you've been following college sports for a while, that historically hasn't been the case. You know, the Delaney's Big Ten uh, often defined itself not just for what the Big Ten was. But defined itself as not being the SEC. You know, not being SEC is was part of a shared identity for many Midwestern flagship institutions. so to so to see that kind of cold War thawing a little bit, I, I certainly think think that that's that that's a, that's important. But when we hear about working groups between administrators to talk about changes in athlete compensation, changes in governance, changes in and reforming college athletics, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to the smart people working at the SEC or the Big Ten. But for me, I don't think that that's terribly important simply because fundamentally those individuals are no longer in charge whatever proposal that if if any proposal comes from these big 10 sec conversations about how to structure college athletics to be legally compliant that depends on the courts finding that to be okay it's the courts right now whether that's district court or the national labor relations board administrative courts or other places or potentially congress that are saying what athletes should be employees, if any, and what are what are what are systems here that could comply with antitrust law? The administrators should come up with good ideas. They should talk. I think that's a positive. But fundamentally, they don't have the final say anymore. And I'm more interested in the people that do, which are, are uh, folks in Washington D.C. and in courthouses across the country.
2: And, and on that subject, uh, it was a couple of days, uh, a couple of weeks ago, when all of a sudden. Uh, it came out that Tennessee uh, was going after the NCAA. We we really had not even been made aware of an official investigation and the chancellor, Donde Plowman literally went scorched earth and a couple of attorney generals followed suit. It's a little confusing watching this uh, minute to minute, but where, where where are you on what this means and and really how we
3: got to this point? Yeah, I think it's, It's a it's a very interesting case to look at from afar because it shows that really going after the NCAA pinata is increasingly smart politics for AGs or for governors or, or for lawmakers, and, and you're not really going to be accused as much of favoring one state university or one private school over another. One of the few things that really unites conservatives and progressives in this country right now is that they don't like the NCAA. Uh, we saw this you know, a, a few weeks prior to even the, the Tennessee, Virginia case with uh, attorneys general of blue states like Illinois and Colorado and, and very red states like West Virginia joining together to sue over uh, transfer restrictions. Right. And, and, and so I think it's notable to watch this as just as uh, what this means for politics to see these states jump into this world. What we're increasingly finding whether Tennessee or the NCAA prevails in this particular case, it surely won't be the last one uh, about whether the NCAA has the capacity to enforce nearly any rule. Uh, about not just NIL, but I think increasingly about academics, increasingly about anything related to to amateurism, um, because it's gonna, there's going to be a political incentive for somebody to go find a local judge and, and take them to court over it. That's why the NCAA has spent so much effort in Capitol Hill to try to get antitrust exemptions. That's why the SEC and the Big Ten and the Big 12 and the ACC have tried to do the same. And I think, I, again, I look part of this and think, it's great that administrators are talking i've written in my publication now is the time for a sea of white papers let's hear everybody's best idea now is the time for that i mean the time was really five six years ago but now is is the next best time but fundamentally it's other people people that might not follow or understand this industry as closely as the practitioners do that are really going to have an outsized role in shaping what the future looks like
2: now we'll spare everybody the usual washington dc inside the beltway jokes all you have to do is put on your favorite cable network and start laughing. But is anything going to get done any time in the foreseeable future on these issues?
3: You know, I, I tell everybody that if I had a perfectly working crystal ball, my newsletter would cost a lot more than eight bucks. <laughs> so I can always look at this as foggy as I possibly can, but it, it doesn't look good. And if anything, I think it looks worse than it did a few months ago. Wow. Not that there aren't lawmakers from, who are both Republicans and Democrats who are interested in finding some kind of consensus about athlete health care or about some very general name image likeness regulations here. The challenge right now, the biggest one is the calendar. We have a presidential election coming in a couple of months. There's the ability to control various house subcommittees and and, and, uh, who's gonna actually be around to vote because we're off campaigning or we're off doing other things. We've just run out of time. I I actually, I think, differ from any of my national media colleagues in that. I, I think there really was a potential for some legislative action it's just that the NCAA and power conferences were asking for the wrong things at the wrong time from the wrong people. Uh, and now, if if you really want something to get done, I think that's more likely to happen after the presidential election and after we know who's going to be in Congress moving forward than now. You always hear the phrase, you know, I don't want
2: to get into politics, but I have to get into politics to ask this next question. Yeah. It's a pretty obvious question uh, between the two candidates or as when you broaden it among the. Houses of Congress, uh, being Republican or Democrat, which one favors
3: something getting done more? Yeah, it's it's actually, I think, a really fascinating question because the politics around college sports are not so completely neatly R&D as maybe many other issues. I think it's fair to say that very broadly speaking, Democrats are more likely to support college athlete legislation that is broader in scope. Meaning that it, it it goes after not just NIL and not just potentially the NCAA's ability to enforce rules, but also about protecting labor organizing, not just for college athletes, but potentially for other industries in the South. It, it, they're, they're more likely to look at uh, holistic health care uh, or other uh, athlete rights issues, whereas Republicans, broadly speaking, are more likely to be sympathetic to some of the NCAA's arguments and want for much narrower uh, uh, leg- legislation regarding NIL or anything else. The the really key issue at this point, even more of a name image likeness, is about employment. Because between Dartmouth and the National Labor Relations Board Regional Office, USC and the NLRB, potentially Johnson v. NCAA, and potentially other cases after that, there's going to be continuous pressure from outside groups or courts to define at least some and potentially a whole lot of college athletes as employees. And that's something that many Democrats welcome at least for some parts of college athletics and that's something that Republicans generally are more wary of so if you were hoping for action that lines up more with what the NCAA wants broadly speaking I think you would want Republican control of of uh, of the House and Senate and if you were looking for something a little bit more pro-athlete labor or more expansive you're probably looking for more leadership from Democrats
2: I'm still confused about uh, the election, but, uh, but you've helped me immensely on I'm trying to, to handicap it from a sports standpoint. Great to have you on that. Uh, nobody does it better. We really appreciate your time.
3: Paul, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
2: Great to talk to you, Matt Brown, joining us from Extra Points. We are going to uh, run to the break here with your phone calls around the corner. We're coming right back.
0: You're listening to the Paul Feinbaum Show podcast. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Is your schedule too packed to see a doctor about your erectile dysfunction? Well, with Hims, now you can get treated for ED without stepping foot outside your door. They're changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Start your free online visit today at himscom slash paul. That's h-i-m-s dot com slash paul for your personalized ED treatment options. hymns.com slash paul. Hard are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety or effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies on product and subscription plan.
2: Welcome back. Emma starts at... Starts it off for us. Hello, Emma. Hello. Hi, how are you?
4: Good, how are you?
2: We are doing great, thank you. And
4: I'm, uh, but... I'm from Grand Alabama, home of the pay- DR Patriots.
2: Oh, wow. That's that's fantastic. Glad to hear from you.
4: And I'm a big fan of your show.
2: Well, thank you. What, what, uh, what do you think? What's on your mind today?
4: Is Nick Saban taking Corso's
2: place? Uh, Not exactly. Uh, I think, uh, Emma, that Corso is going to remain on the show, according to the show's producers. Nick Saban will be there for his expert analysis, not for his ability to put a uh, a, uh, mascot's head on his uh, shoulders. Thanks for the call. Trey is up next.
5: Hey, Paul, two things today, and then I want to give you the answer to my trivia question. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday. Okay. Um, That was a great phone call by Jim. A lot of credit to Jim today. But he said something Tuesday. I want to know how this is possible. He said he never listens to Squirrel because everything he says is a lie. Well, if you don't listen to him, how do you know what he's saying is a lie?
2: That's a really good point.
5: I mean, he did say it, so I was just asking and I want to tell you something. The guy that's the big Georgia fan, the interview you had, you know what he reminds me of, Paul? He reminds me of a little schoolboy that's kind of whining and begging for your approval on everything he says. He's, it's, it's just, I don't know how to explain it, but the, the, he just seems kind of whiny to me. Well, here's what but Paul, then, know, I
2: agree with you. Uh, the problem with Griff, and, and I don't mind his opinions, I am. my, I, I. What I do mind is the uh, disingenuous road to his opinions.
5: Oh, I agree, but it's just. I don't know. It just don't come over well to me. It sound, And he hardly ever talks about Georgia. But Paul, the answer to the trivia question about if you're fouled shooting a three-point shot at the wrong basket and the ball I, goes in.
0: Okay.
5: Whenever you shoot the ball at the wrong basket, it's not considered a try or a shot. But it Got does it. count if it goes in, since so it's not considered a try. It don't count as a three it counts as a two. Ooh. So therefore you're not considered as in the act of shooting. Okay. So then you have to go back and look and see if that is the seventh team foul to put you in one and one, or if it's the 10th team foul and puts you in the double bonus. And if it's not, you just bring the ball to the sidelines. If it is, you shoot the free throws accordingly. That's how the rule
2: well, goes. Well, that's good. because You know what, I could not sleep, sleep last night trying to figure out what the answer that was. <laughs>
5: Yeah, I'm sure. You have a great weekend, my friend. Y'all yeah, take you. care.
2: You bet, Trey. <laughs> Trey was definitely an official in his former life. Richard in Montgomery, Alabama, is up next.
6: Hey, Paul. I'm the guy that called last year about trying to hook up I man with a exorcist. I don't know if you remember my Oh yeah, I, I call. do remember
2: that. Yeah, I've had a lot of priests who called me about that.
6: It, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh Griff might use the same guy if I ever find him again. But uh what I wanted to say I, I happened to be a fan of Tommy Reese, which I never thought I would be until about halfway through the season when Milro had an interview and said that he felt like Tommy Reese had really developed him and a lot of the offensive players. And I guess one of my hindsight 2020 questions happens to be, how could he have saved some of these players that perhaps have left at this point? And, you know, could he have helped develop the team? You know, he would have been – this would have been his third year as an offensive coordinator. And he did have the pleasure of working a full year under Saban. And I just feel like he would have been a great coach if they had just hung in there a little bit. Ryan Gribbs, I know was, Grub, I believe, was, you know, supposed to get the job when Saban was still there a long time, you know, a year ago. And Reese was probably the second or third choice. But I just feel like if he stayed on with the team, looking back on it, Compared to what we have now, you know, I've been a fan for 60 years. I started back in the Joe Namath days. And I just feel like looking back on it, I think he would have been at least – he did 10-2 and two his first year. I mean, he lost two games his, you know, first year in the SEC. That's pretty darn good.
2: Yeah, Richard uh, – What do you think? Yeah, I mean – you I know you be- don't like him. Well, no, I, don't, I really don't, but but you may be right. Um, the, the the problem is that when a new coach comes in, he usually brings his guy. And this is why it's so unfortunate for Alabama that his guy was obviously Ryan Grubb. He showed up and then he left. Uh, so right. by the time all that happened, Reese was gone, took a pro job uh, with the Cleveland Browns and the ship right. had sailed. And I don't know if I don't know if Reese could have. Uh, I mean, he may have been able to. I mean, certainly Jalen Milrow would have been better off, I think, because he was used right. to a coordinator. I agree with you completely on that.
6: Okay, well, I just want to say, like I said, I'm I'm not a Notre Dame fan and I'm not a Tommy Reese fan, but I sure was a fan after halfway through the season. He seemed No, no to really in, in fairness to
2: Tommy Reese, uh, you know, I I did think he was clueless early on, but. He did help Alabama get in position. And one thing, uh, I just remember Saban telling me this several different times during the year uh, when we saw him, that uh, he really believed in Tommy Reese. Now, he, sees, he knows a lot more about it than I do. I mean, I'm sitting, I'm sitting up uh, from a distance. Uh, but, but I appreciate your call very much. Thank you. Let's uh, check in next with Don in South Carolina. Hello, Don.
7: Hey, Paul. How are you doing
5: today?
2: We're doing well. Thank you.
5: Okay. Hey, I really enjoy your show. I've been listening for years and I'm calling in response to the Griffith interview today. Yeah. As a Georgia Bulldog fan, I was really surprised at his comments and I don't agree with much of it, but I will say this. Georgia is not looking forward to Texas. George is not looking forward to Alabama. George is concentrating on twinson And anyone that thinks George is not taking everybody serious hasn't been paying much attention to college football. So that's about all I've got to say today and go Bulldog. Well, thank Thank you. you. Yeah,
2: let me me recap. I realize some of you maybe you just be getting out of work or getting home or wherever you're getting us. Mike Griffith was here over an hour ago. Uh, He said a couple of things uh, because listening to Griffith, you you don't always, it makes you want to go crazy sometimes. Uh, But essentially he said that Alabama, that Georgia and Texas are Georgia than Texas is in the upper echelon of the SEC and he said Alabama's in the next tier with endless number of schools. He said Georgia is really looking forward to that game in Texas blowing right past the Alabama game on September 28th. And this was the the thing that really blew us all away. He essentially said, I'm doing some interpretation here, but he essentially said he thinks Nick Saban will come back to coach Alabama because in his mind, DeBoer is a short timer and that Saban, two to three years after being on TV, will come back and take over the program. We will take a short break. On that note, yes, it is Friday afternoon, and it's almost 5 o'clock where we are you know what
0: I mean. You're listening to the Paul Feinbaum Show Podcast. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be.
2: And welcome back. <laughs> Ted is up next. Good afternoon, Ted.
7: Good afternoon, Paul. I'd like to say a few things about the Mike Griffin hit piece. Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, he he said Seattle was um, insinuating that Alabama was tricking the players. Oh,
2: yeah. I forgot about that. Until the
7: until the portal closed. But uh, that had to be untrue because Seattle didn't even have their head coach yet after the portal closed. And the way I'm thinking, you don't hire an offensive coordinator before you hire a head coach. And... By him making that statement, he's trying to fuel disc- I mean um, distrust between the players towards the coaching staff. And as far as the saving comment and the saving coming back, he's trying he's putting it in the fans minds and heads that if we don't back Coach DeBoer and his staff he'll leave and Coach Saban will come back, which is not gonna happen. And one, uh, one last thing, i will mean, going take too much longer, but he mentions Alabama losing two assistants. Well, actually, Tennessee lost an assistant. Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Texas, and Florida, they all lost assistants to the NFL too. Missouri lost an assistant to LSU. Auburn lost a couple of assistants. And O Griff Forgot to mention conveniently that Georgia lost two assistants this week. And that's that's basically all I wanted to say about the hit piece. And thank you for thank you for uh, uh, your
2: call, uh, Mo. We well, got Mo. Good afternoon.
8: Good afternoon, Mr. Good tree. Thank you. I believe that's the correct translation. That is exactly Jeremy the, is the translation.
2: You are correct.
8: I heard you talk, I uh, believe, last month about that. That's a good name.
2: It's, it's, I'm, I'm sticking with it.
8: Well, I just wanted to make a comment about all these other fans commenting on Alabama. You would think that we created the world the way they're always talking about us. They never talk much about their teams. It's mostly about Alabama, what Alabama does. They're concerned and consumed with Alabama.
2: Well, you know, it's been like that a long time. Uh, Not much has changed in college football.
8: Well, I'd like to tell you a short story. There was a sportscaster up in the Midwest who was a baseball commentator for 40 years. He retired, and the people were calling in and telling him how much they loved him and what a good uh, sportscaster he was. Now, back in those days, smoking was not a sin. People smoked all the time. The coaches smoked, the commentators smoked. I saw Jim Legland smoking a cigarette in a Pittsburgh Pirates dugout. But anyway, people were calling in and saying how much they appreciated him. A lady called in and said, I love the way you did, the way you commentated, but you smoked too much. Hmm. And the guy said, ma'am, my granddaddy lived to be 99 years old. And she said, well, did he smoke? He said, no, he managed his own damn business. <laughs> nice I like
2: that. Thank you for the call. Yeah, absolutely. Mic drop. Elliot, Ohio, next.
1: Paul, oh, you can never count Alabama out. they still got Jalen Milroe who has that long ball, can get past the secondary, but that's not why I called. I called to find out who the heck is doing your brackets. Is it influence from ESPN? Because how can how can John from St. Louis and Elliot from Ohio be on the bubble while, while uh, what's the space from Columbus, Ohio, is in? He didn't even call you for Valentine's Day. When's the last time he called you, Paul? Jeff. Well,
2: we, we had to decide, uh, call or no call, who was the best Ohio
1: caller he may not even be alive. We don't even know. He might be DQ based on not reading right now. We don't know cuz we we don't hear from him. Well, okay, Jeff well Elliot uh,
2: the person in charge <laughs> is in the other room right now listening to your call. So Randy. I, uh, it's uh, by the way, it Hit is not Randy, oh, is, Randy Randy is not involved in the Oh, it's ESPN. <laughs> it's one of the
1: it's one of the it's one of the uh, ESPN suits. It's that uh, It's that ESPN influence that's been killing all of our brackets way back to the beginning of time, favoring, well, this time they're favoring Columbus, Ohio, so I don't get Uh, that. By the way,
2: Randy, unless you would like to be involved in the bracketology, Randy wants nothing to do with it. So, uh, Elliot, (laughs) make a case why you are such a good caller, because I haven't heard anything yet.
1: Ah, you know, because I stand by my team. Isn't that number one? Number one trait of a fine bomb caller: they stand by their team. Number two trait of a fine bomb caller: they call in even when their team's losing. Number three trait of a fine bomb caller: we have great stats and we have great takeaways that other people comment on. I have to come up with some more. Well, wow, these
2: these are these are compelling, Elliot. <laughs> Elliot, you started off on the bubble you're no longer you're no longer even eligible after this call <laughs> goes the other way Paul don't take me off the bubble put me in okay I, we want you to be in no seriously you will you will get in the tournament all right you have my word on that oh okay I got your I got Paul yeah, you word. I mean you fun. may have to play a play-in game to get in the play-in game but you'll be in there,
1: be in there. I'll be in there Hey, if Bash can do a. Uh, would you, by a, the way, would uh, K- you
2: accept uh, an, an NIT invitation or, or not?
1: Ah, uh, yeah. NIT is not even basketball. Okay, okay. Is so it? you're out of the
2: NIT. There, isn't there like another tournament, too? The CIIT or CBI? long in the tournament. No okay, NIT, we are going to. Uh, okay, you have no to uh, accept the ABCs. Uh, where in Ohio do you live? Northern, southern? Columbus,
1: Ohio. I'm, right. I'm going to go well, you're find out. You're in Seatown, okay.
2: Um, Buckeye, way, ball. Yeah, you might, have to, you might have to drive over to Akron for a play-in game. <laughs> we, got, we got one at the Firestone plant up there.
1: Hey, we play big ball here at Nationwide Arena. What are you talking about? Yeah, you just fired your coach yesterday. I, I know all about it. <laughs> Women's basketball is
2: killing here, though. Okay, well, now we'll I put, you, like we'll put you, you in the... Well, well, we don't have a women's tournament, but every, everybody, is, everybody is eligible for our tournament. Hmm. Okay, Elliot, uh, listen, we're, the field's not being determined for a couple more weeks, so don't don't let today's setback hurt your feelings. No, no. I'm bringing my A game, Paul. I'm bringing my A game. It, uh, Elliot, one last question. If, if we had to... If you had to meet anyone in the, in the opening round, uh, you could, you could determine it. Who would it be?
1: who could I take out in the opening round? Yeah. Who do
2: you feel like you can handle?
1: Who does everybody want to handle? I'm in every day of the week, Paul. I'll take I'm in down. Okay. I like that. <laughs> you're not, you're not running. You're not running. I like that. I'm not running. I'm going up against it, Paul. Buckeyes are taking it this
2: year. Killing it. I noticed how you avoided anybody from Missouri because you probably still have that beat down in your head.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we want to... Did you see our guy on the bike during that game? He didn't even care. He's like, I think I'll go ride a bike. Yeah, I I told you my
2: story on the game, Elliot. Or maybe I didn't, but uh, I was on a plane to uh, L.A. that night and I had to sit behind two disgusting Michigan fans who were getting drunk and cheering from Missouri the whole way. Oh no! And by the oh, way, I didn't terrible. mind them cheering from from Missouri, which I was too. But I, I minded all the noise. <laughs> it was it was a, it was like midnight, and I was hoping maybe to catch a Z. Hey, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. And Skipper is up next.
5: Thank you, Paul, for taking my call.
2: Aye, aye, Skipper.
5: I'm a Georgia fan started watching football in 1946. And, uh, you have very good, reporters on that are very intelligent. And then you bring on Mike Griffith. Uh, I, he is not a representative George. I just, I just wish it wasn't on that. Every time he's on, there, I get upset. And then I remember about four weeks ago, you had a guy on there from Alabama named Jim that really got upset. I can understand why, I'd, uh, in my point, point, uh, in my opinion, Mike Griffith is not—he's just ludicrous, and he just beats around the bush and goes on and on and on. That's all, right. all I got by to the say way, about the this. entertainer How ludicrous.
2: Is. Just uh, sent me a note—he he was offended by being compared by, by Griffith being compared to ludicrous. We take a break; more to come. It is a wild Friday afternoon here on the program.
0: You're listening to the Paul Feinbaum Show podcast. We're back Friday afternoon,
2: everybody feeling good, middle of the month, and John is next in St. Louis.
8: Hello, Paul.
4: Hello, John. Hello, John. Paul, the name and the town that you are from. The name of the
2: town is, uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm, I've got to get my password to get back on uh, American Online. Um, it is uh, Memphis, uh, that's where I was born. Memphis, Tennessee.
4: Well, that's good. Anyway, Paul. Yes, I'm uh, on long distance this afternoon, and i uh, I was going to talk about uh, a little, a little different kind of a slant this afternoon, since it's a Friday. But I, I was curious, Paul, as to what events or people in your life, besides the obvious, you know, your parents and role models had really a major effect on your life and kind of what those were. And then I'll tell you about mine.
7: Well,
2: yeah, I mean, I, I, I know, I know you said the obvious, but, uh, I can't really, uh, answer the question without stating the obvious. And, uh, my mother, uh, my father, uh, you know, ha- had a profound effect on me and he still does, even though I lost him at, at 15 years old. And then my mother became my mother and father. Uh, so those, those two really shaped the beginning of my life and, and, and since then, uh, the most important person in my life has been my wife.
4: Oh, that's good. That's a good story to tell, Paul. I was going to tell you, this isn't something you're probably not going to want to hear, but I'm okay. just going to kind of bring it up this afternoon and kind of let's, let's stir it up a little bit. Okay. Here, okay.
2: That's what you're here for, John. That's why we pay you. Anyway,
4: <laughs> Paul, I was going to talk about going back here when I was a young man and I used to study a lot of American history, and some people that had a big effect on my life were back in the late 50s and early 60s. And I remember doing a lot of research and study on—remember the Hess case, Paul?
2: Yeah, Alger Hess.
4: Alger Hess, and there was an individual who was, turned out to be a great American that people really looked down upon, Paul. His name was Whitaker Chambers.
2: Yes. Remember I, Whitaker? I do. I am familiar with the story. What's that? I said I am familiar with the story. Are you now or have you
4: ever been a communist? Well, Paul, that's what I'm saying is that his actions really prevented a lot of destruction to the country and a lot of embarrassment to the country at a time where we were really becoming involved... <laughs> with uh, Eastern Europe in a Cold War state. Yes. And I believe that, you know, a lot of people discounted his impact and I, I think he did a lot of good. Do you have any opinion about that or?
2: Well, listen, um, I I don't. Uh, I mean, I studied that case, uh, the Alger Hiss case, uh, who was convicted of what? Uh, Something um, espionage. Uh, but I, I really uh, I found I found that to be a very troubling period of, of of American history when people's lives were ruined by baseless allegations by people like uh, Joseph McCarthy and many others.
4: Well, who could those other people be?
2: Well, there are a lot of people, uh, a lot of actors, uh, a lot of uh, People in Hollywood, a lot of people in entertainment who who were literally ruined because of uh, false and baseless allegations.
4: Yeah, I would agree with that. And then, Paul, can we segue to another issue? What was that? Can we segue to another topic? wish we would. Yes. Yeah, let's segue here. Let's light things up a little bit here. And I know uh, you never told me. uh, So
2: those are the two. Those are the people that influence your life, uh, Alger Hiss and Whitaker Chambers.
4: (laughs) Partially, Paul. Okay. Anyway, I want to talk a little bit about John, have you ever been
2: accused of something that uh, wasn't true? Is that where is that the genesis of all this? (laughs)
4: Well, Paul, I have I have had been accused of some things over the years, and I that's be that, nice. That kind of, well, it kind of segues into another uh, another topic I was going to talk about tonight, and uh, I know your callers. Oh, you guys kind of laugh about kind of the cliches I use, you know, like I talk about the young man and wake up and smell the coffee, but uh, actually. A lot of the uh, cliches I pick up like young man and sir and over and out, those actually have come recently from the job I've had the last seven or eight years at the Juvenile Delinquent Center. Okay.
2: Well, I, well, first of all, that's, uh, I'm, I'm really glad to know you're working there. I think uh, that's a very worthwhile thing to do, to work at the Juvenile Delinquent Center.
4: Yeah, and then the other one, I can tell you when I was sued, I'm not going to tell you what happened. I was sued a number of years ago, and the lawyer that had to go to court about kept using the uh, cliché, wake up and smell the coffee. Right. So that's where I picked up on that one. Wow. So,
2: so you've been falsely accused of something, or were you correctly accused of
4: something? Yeah, I was, and I actually won some money out of that deal, okay. so uh, I made a good, good little extra profit on times. that. Yeah, I mean, if you're not important, you're not going to get sued. Yeah. So, uh, any play, Paul, is kind of, I guess it's turned out to be John, a boring call tonight. John, Thank you and good night.
6: You're listening to the Paul Feinbaum Show podcast.